Welcome to episode 36 of Polywana Cracker. This is an interesting one. Um, I originally talked to Senator Cory Bernardi on Tuesday, March 7th, and in the ensuing 24 hours after that, a story broke within Fairfax Media about uh, an investment property, a million dollar investment property that he allegedly failed to declare. Uh, it was a big story, so um, I reached back out to the senator. He was gracious enough to give me a little bit more time, so I came and met him again on um, on the Thursday. And so we we talk about that. I asked him a few questions. He addresses it head on and, and um, explains his side. That's at the end of this episode. The first part is is really interesting, and we actually towards the end of that we we, we begin talking about corruption in politics. For some reason, I just felt like I would ask him that. Funnily enough. You know, this story breaks the next day, but um, as you will hear, um, he largely debunks um, his alleged, um, you know, declaration, non-declaration of that property. So, look, give it a listen. Give the whole episode a listen. Don't just skip to the end. You can if you want, but please don't. And uh, given the fact that, you know, this story did break during the week, uh, there's probably a few more listeners that may be new to Pollywanna Cracker. And so, just to give you the whole context, I give everyone the same respect and the same space to go and talk how and, and have a conversation with me however they want. I'm just preempting anybody who thinks that this is pro Corey Bernardi. Uh, sure, you can, you know, think what you like, uh, but this really, this, this podcast really is about the people and who they are. How they, how they work. If you're looking for hard-hitting journalism and for me to be going after the senator about this uh, particular property, you're not going to get it here. But um, you will get a bit of an explanation from the horse's mouth. So here we go with episode 36 of Pollywanna Cracker with Senator Corey Bernardi. Don't forget, you can email me at polypodcast at gmail.com and uh, you can find the podcast at polypodcast on instagram facebook and twitter all right now let's roll the thing senator bernardi how are you going i'm well tim i think i've aged uh, about <laughs> 10 years in the last month but i'm, I'm well you know i'm it's been a big new direction for me, which I'm sure we'll cover, and um, I'm excited about it. Yeah, a lot has happened since we last talked on this podcast. You were the, the second guest ever, so thank you for being an early adopter. Um, and for <laughs> no one's accused chance. me of that before. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun, yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks, thanks for giving me an, a, another another shot because yes, a lot has happened, um, and I'm going to try to get to everything in this 30 minutes that we have. I'm not taking credit for this. Because the suggestion was already out there uh, at the time. But back then, I asked you if you were going to start your own party. and um, What did I say? Uh, <laughs> well, you didn't say that you wouldn't, I don't think. You, you, but you didn't say you were going to. Um, it, was, it was an interesting answer where I think reading between the lines, it was kind of like, hang on, I think there's something to this. Well, you know, the, the, there's something to it in the sense that I'd been warning for a long time that things needed to change in politics yeah. and you know it had been going through my brain what happens if things don't change you know what happens if we get you know an alternative party that runs up and is going to do bad things for the country and um so i guess it's always been in the back of my mind but it's been there for 
10 years, as I've yeah. been saying. You've got to make these changes. Yeah. Um, but the real epiphany for me was, actually, I was in the States and uh, I said to my wife, you know, something's got to change. I, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I've either got to get out of politics or really try and be the catalyst for a, a radical difference. And she said... If you don't do this, Corey, uh, you'll regret it for the rest of your life because you'll be going, what if? Yeah, right. And she said, I don't want you to live with that. She doesn't want to live with that. Um, and that was kind of the moment I said, okay, I've got to really do something different. Mm, yeah, well, I have to say um, I was reading your blogs that you were putting out. Uh, I, you know, I don't read every single one of them, but I do read a lot of them. <laughs> and I try to read – I try to keep across everybody. But I, I remember reading those while you were over there and I, I – I think I was. I could pick up on that, and I, I don't know that you were trying to disguise it or anything. It, it, may, it seemed really obvious to me, so I don't know if other people picked up on that. But it, it felt like, um, having got out of the country, seeing what was going on over there, that something within you was changing. Well, it made me realise there's there's a heck of a lot at stake, you know. And I think we live in the greatest country in the world, and I think politics has done it a huge disservice. And I've been there for. 11 years this year but you know the last 10 years so the last the tail end of the Howard government and I, I, no one can tell me that things are better now than they were there you know in the state of politics you know do we have more stability predictability are are we economically in a bit better position are we socially and culturally in a better position the answer to all of those questions is no uh, from my point of view and I think most people would agree with that and the the cause of all those problems is the lack of conviction in politics um, yes, we've had issues and we've had to deal with them, but they've been dealt with them in such a, a haphazard, short-term, short-sighted, self-indulgent way that we're reaping the, uh, this enormous uh, problem attached to that. Um, and no one seems to have the heart to want to change it. You know, they think Nick Xenophon's some sort of aberration and he'll go away, like Clive Palmer was an aberration and will go away and Hanson will go away. But, uh, you know, that's they might individually fade, but they're all a, a, a consequence of the problems that have arisen. And um, if the major parties were dealing with those problems, perhaps we wouldn't have such a disparate cross-wrench. Yeah, well, um, look, we're taking a, a little bit of a, a side swerve here because... Um, That's what I do, to, mate. That's yeah. what I do. <laughs> I mean, as I say, I'm intrigued by your journey since then, and we're going to get back into that. But uh, another thing that's happened since then as well that I am going to take credit for is you started your own podcast. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's been, that's true. Um, and I did that in the States for a bit. Mm -hmm. yep. I just wanted to experiment with it. Um, and I was inspired by you guys. I thought yeah, it was right. a really, really good idea. Um, and I did it for a little while. Um, I haven't done it lately, but we're doing some revamps. And so that will come back. Yeah, right. Okay. Because I, I kind of enjoyed it. Mm. Um, it's a way of having a conversation with people in a, a manner about issues. But I'd really like someone else to be with me to do it, yeah. rather than just listening to me talk to myself yeah well yeah fair enough um, yeah if you ever need any producers we're available no you've got at very reasonable rates <laughs> yeah, I bet. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but um yeah I, I look i don't know half the audience probably listening is probably going to um uh, turn off from my podcast now because i inspired senator cory bernardi to go and start his own and then the other half are going to be championing you well but they anyway. don't have to listen you know to yeah. mine anyway they should listen to yours <laughs> but not mine yeah um all right so yes look in hindsight um it is obviously really easy to look back on on your journey since then, and and 
you know, pick off little bits and pieces where it's like, okay, you know, I could see this coming. But um, I just remember watching some of the moves you were making and even the establishment of the Australian conservative movement. It was almost like you were canvassing the Australian public to see, is this a possibility? Will, will I have the support if I went and struck out on my own? Uh, look, that's not entirely accurate um, because what I thought was after the election, the election result was a disaster for the Liberal Party. Yeah, they won government, but at what price? And, I, I, you know, I'd warned them that changing leaders midstream would send a very bad message and that's not about the personalities, not about Malcolm or Tony. It just was we are doing what the other mob did and we condemned them for quite rightly and the Australian people did as well. And the results eerily parallel that. You know, we've got a, a one-seat majority. The only reason the Liberals got in was because of, uh, you know, I think the, the problems in Victoria with the country fire service. Uh, otherwise, you know, they would have lost. Um, and yet the same people were running around saying what a great, magnificent success it was. We had Christopher Pine saying, oh, we're an election-winning machine, and Malcolm Turnbull saying during the campaign... Uh, Pauline Hanson's got no place in politics. Uh, you had the Mark Texter, the, the principal pollster, saying uh, the base have got nowhere to go. And Tony Nutt, the federal director, uh, you know, responsible for what was a very lacklustre eight-week campaign. And at the end of all of that, the results poor, and everyone's clapping themselves on the back saying that's fantastic. And they've all still got their jobs and the policies are just the same. Uh, and it's not resonating with the Australian people. So I thought, well, these people are leaving the tent. We lost a million voters or thereabouts to One Nation and others. And I thought, well, let me do what I can to keep them in the tent. So the best way to do that is to be able to contact them. And we got stacks of people registered uh, and, you know, we could communicate with them. But it was about a movement to agitate for change in politics. It wasn't designed to be a political party. Uh, yes, we were heartened by the success, but you know, quite literally, uh, it was it was that that moment when I had a conversation with my wife that that made me push the, you know, resolve in my own mind things had to change. Right. Yeah. Because I, I know you said recently that you know when you contested the election you weren't thinking about forming your own party. So, um, you know, while you may not have said that's it, I'm done. I mean, you did allude to it before that in the back of your mind there was something that you know if things hadn't changed if they don't change then you know you might do something and be a catalyst for change so yeah it seems that experience in the US really was that okay that's it I'm definitely going to do it uh, and of course the conversation with your wife so when you finally make that decision you know what what's running through your head like how do you feel what do you you know <laughs> well it, it's something that I, I'd wrestled with for a little while and you know if I go back in reality Maybe I've been wrestling with it for, for nine years or eight years or whatever. Um, people were predicting I'd join another party, you know, back two years after I was in politics because I was bucking the system. Um, but there was a sense of relief. No question about that. There was this, this, thank goodness I've made a decision. Now, that same relief would have come if I said I'm getting out of politics. Okay. Right? I, I'm, I'm sure of that because wrestling with a decision is quite difficult but once you've made a decision it's okay mm -hmm. and yet I didn't publicize the decision I didn't commit myself in any way to taking that course of action mm -hmm. because things are subject to change what seems like a great idea and you know late at night yeah <laughs> might not be such a good idea the next morning you know I'm sure we've all had those moments and so in the back of my mind was always this thing that that it could change until the very last minute 
I still thought maybe there's a there's a hope of this, and that's why I had canvassed um, when I got back to Australia. I, I canvassed it with my staff um, because I thought if they didn't want to be part of that, they should have the chance to move on. I said this is what I'm thinking and likely to happen. I spoke to some of my colleagues um, to. I'm not even going to say get their counsel, but to say this is what I'm thinking. Um, you know, what am I not considered? What have I not considered? Uh, some of those respected that confidence and some didn't. Um, but right up until, you know, the moment, that's why I maintained media silence for a couple of months, was yeah. quite literally uh, things could have changed. Um, but then I got to a point where I go, no, I'm, uh, I, I can't see how this can change. I've got to be the person that tries to make the change. Yeah, well, speaking of media silence, that was one of the little red flags that went off because I remember requesting an interview during the election and one of the answers I got back was that you weren't really doing any media and it was something that you decided to do. So I was thinking there and then that perhaps the disillusionment was really settling in No, there. no, that's, a, that's two different media silences. Okay. I had the two-month media silence yeah. during the election because everything that I said... People know that you know Malcolm Turnbull and I had a fractious relationship, right? And that I thought they were silly to change leader. And what I didn't want is every time there was a policy disagreement, yeah. you know, it, it becomes this Bernardi versus Turnbull or something like that, just like it was with Abbott. Yeah. You know, and I didn't want anyone to think I was doing uh, anyone else's bidding. It was all about the policies for me. Exactly. You know, if they had silly policies, I'd tell them. And I said that to both Tony Abbott and, and Malcolm Turnbull. But during the election campaign, I thought it was going terribly. I didn't want to get blamed for it going terribly. And no matter what I said during the election campaign, it could be misrepresented or misconstrued as me having a shot at Malcolm or, you know, me supporting Tony or, you know, something else. And I didn't want a bar of that. So what I said about doing was raising money for, you know, the Senate campaign, raising money for some of my colleagues' campaigns, but not dealing with the media because that was, you know, I didn't want to be blamed for the failings of the campaign. And I'm glad I did that uh, because the failings belong somewhere else. Yeah. Did, were people within the party happy that you made that decision or were they oh, I'm critical? sure they do. But, you know, yeah. well, look, you know what, it's funny. They're happy I made the decision at the time, but then, uh, you know, afterwards they, they're, they're critical because they go, oh, you should have been out there defending the government's policies and... and I feel like saying, why, why do I want to defend a policy that I really disagree with? Um, it's terrible. You've breached, you know, you've breached all our, our protocols. Um, you can't say you weren't warned about changing superannuation laws. Uh, I said, you'll undermine confidence in it if you go down this path. And here's an alternative. I even gave them solutions, which, you know, they said no. But anyway, it's, by the by, that's politics. But... People will criticise you for whatever you do. Had I spoken up during the campaign, I would have been criticised and been responsible for the performance. Because I was silent during the campaign, they're criticising me for being silent. Uh, because I gave money to you know marginal seats, they criticised me for that. Uh, because I contributed to a Senate campaign, they criticise. You know, it's just uh, people just do whatever they want. In politics. Well, yeah, it's the age of the internet as well. People will criticise you for whatever you yeah, do. <laughs> self-serving stuff, you know. But it only matters if you have respect for the person that's knocking you. You know, what do I care about? You know, someone who I know hates my guts anyway, uh, calling me names. That's that's their problem, not mine. Mm, so what about um, your former colleagues now? When you walk through the houses or the halls of parliament, 
<laughs> is it? What, what, what's, what are those exchanges like? Is it? It depends. Yeah, some, of right. them, some of them, um, uh, some of them are more civil, and some of them are less civil than before. Uh, you know, people people use these things to reinforce their own ideals. So those who didn't like me before and were rude to me before, or you know, we just didn't get along. It's the same. You know, there are colleagues you just don't really talk to. There are colleagues whom I respect a lot and I like a lot who are bitterly disappointed. Um, and, you know, that is in politics takes a while to recover. Mm-hmm. But quite often they're the people I was disappointed in in the leadership spill and things like that. So, yeah. you know, you're big people and you know, adults, you've got to get past it. Yeah. But the smart ones, I mean, if you're a member of the government, I don't know why you go to great lengths to antagonise a member of the crossbench. My sympathies are with them, you know, because I still consider myself to be a liberal-oriented person and the, the values of the Liberal Party are still my values. I just don't think they're living up to them. So, but why would they antagonise me? Why, why would they call me names? Because I can just go, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to, you know, support you on that. Mm. Um, so it's a short-sighted sort of thing. But anyway, people make their own decisions in this. Well, that's true. Uh, and as, as you were talking, uh, I just had this flash of a parody come through my mind of something that would be an entertaining video of, you know, it's almost like the, the school halls or something. And, you know, you're walking down the, the hall and then someone with the shoulder <laughs> knocks yeah. you near you and it's, I don't know, maybe it's Christopher Pine. I don't know. Mate, I can tell you, I don't reckon too many give me the, shul- <laughs> the, the, the really? physical shoulder. Well, yeah. I'm bigger than most of them. And, uh, that's true. Um, you know, I just don't take to being bullied. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, People, people will take advantage of any weakness in, in, in politics. And, you know, the greatest weakness is that I forgive them for most, for whatever. I just go, yeah, yeah, that's, that's you know, that's life and you accept it. Um, but, you know, no one's tried to bully me. No, but is there a lot of bullying in Australian politics, do you think? Like we see, you know, the leaders taking shots at each other on question time and that sort of thing. Is there bullying rife within Parliament? Depends on what you call by bullying. You know, by yeah. my standards, there's a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. But if you looked at it by contemporary sort of, you know, school standards where you call someone a name or, you know, you make fun of their hair or their dress or something, yeah, everyone's bullied every day. Yeah. You know, um, uh, it's just everyone seems so sensitive about stuff today. Um, whereas the reality is, uh, some people are good at some things and some people are not, but that's bullying that if you if you point out someone's deficiencies. <laughs> it's okay if you point them out to someone like me, apparently, but, you know, if I point them out to um, someone about something else, uh, I'm bullying them. So, look, you know, it's all in the eye of the beholder. It's a tough game, right, and you wouldn't get away with what happens in politics in most workplaces today. But that doesn't mean, you know, they're all volunteers there. Let's not start crying over that we've been dealt a hard deal. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, look, I'm I'm looking at all of this from, you know, from from a distance, and I'm seeing what's going on, and maybe I'm I'm reading too much into this, but I just feel like with Bob Day no longer with Family First, and Tony Abbott is agitating the gravel, you know, for his own party, and it seems many of your sensibilities, you know, they align somewhat with Liberal Democrat as well. Would I be right in thinking that? Oh, that's it's true. Yeah. It's true, but. But on only on certain issues. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, just it's just these things coming together, and other conservatives, you know, within the backbench of the Liberal Party, is the Australian Conservatives the very beginning toward absorbing some of these other parties? 
to become one big super party. <laughs> a super party. I yeah. like that. It sounds good. Um, I have growth intentions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I, Australian Conservatives is there to provide a credible, I think, stable mm-hmm. um, and principled alternative. And if you look, and I've said before that the focus is on the Senate because I don't think the people who have deserted the major parties and looking for alternatives in the Senate, I don't think they're going back to the major parties, right? I can't envisage where where that's going to happen. And so you've got a bunch of I-don't-like-it parties uh, which are led by personalities. And so, you know, the, the cult of personality, they're all named after the individual. Um and people are voting for them not because of their their policy stance, because there's not a consistent policy thread running through them. It's just egos. Um, and I don't think that's sustainable either. They, they come and they go. Um, you know, Pauline Hanson's One Nation, if it's no longer Pauline Hanson, what does One Nation stand for? You know, Nick Xenophon's team, it, they're all silent. The team is silent. It's only Nick Xenophon. Um, and Nick Xenophon, there's not a consistent thread in how he approaches any of his policies. Uh, it's just like I'll lob myself in the middle and call myself sensible and, you know, uh, isn't that good? So I, I, I think ultimately that people will get fed up with that because there's no predictability to it. Whereas I'm hoping they'll say, Australian Conservatives, OK, I'm not voting for the coalition or I'm not, you know, I'm a conservative Labor person. I don't want to vote for either of them. I want to go to where my principles are valued and I know that they'll be upheld, um, that we're not going to be making decisions just around personalities or anything else. So that's what I'm hoping to provide. Um, I hope it gives the Liberal Party a bit of spine in government. I'd rather a Liberal government, coalition government, but it needs some spine, someone to remind them about what they're meant to be doing and, and standing for. I tried to do that within the party for a very long time. We had some successes... Um, but clearly not enough because the, the punters are going elsewhere. So would you ever go back to the Liberal Party if they, you know, come back to... Well, if they well, want not to, early if, to say that. But. If they want to merge with Australian Conservatives, I'll consider taking them on. <laughs> <laughs> right, you'll take them on. All right. Fair enough. Well, yeah. So I said I'll consider it. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not all of them, mate. <laughs> well, but I, look, I, I don't envisage that. Yeah. I don't envisage that. It's not... You know, um, people have asked whether I go into coalition with them or something if we have some success. I'm not interested in being in coalition. You know, I'm not in this for position. It's about the policy outcomes. And I I think our country is being served poorly by politics and politicians. And we need to change that. Well, you alluded to it um, just before. You know, I was reading an interesting article in the Australian Financial Review over the weekend and they were talking about... Um, you know, Aussie politics going around in circles and, you know, the public switching off, wanting to vote for other parties that, you know, aren't the major parties. So, um, you know, I think you've, you've shared your thoughts on politics right now, but do you think people even care anymore? Like the Australian public, are they interested? Yeah, I, I think many more of them have been turned off by it. They think it's absolutely irrelevant. It is the political class talking to themselves. You know, we all go on Sky and we, the only people that are listening are other politicians and journalists. And, you know, we hope that it reinforces itself. The people out in the street have had jack of it. They think nothing changes. It doesn't matter who you elect. It doesn't matter what they say. They don't believe it. 
And, you know, that's why I think you've got the rise of One Nation. I, I say it in that context because it's the I don't like it party. I don't like it. You're all a bunch of, you know, scumbags. Um, I'm going to vote for One Nation to to stick it up, if you will. Um, and uh, that, I think, is a, a real indictment on politics in this country. So we've got to burst the Canberra bubble, is how I describe it. We've got to make sure that what's happening in Parliament House is reflecting the views of the Australian people. Uh, we've got to restore faith in politics, credibility in politics and confidence in politics. That's the real mission and that's one of the things Australian Conservatives are going to take on. Mm. Do you think there are, there are some people out there that are dissatisfied that are perhaps tapping into something you know, a little bit deeper and waking up to a higher sense of awareness where they realise, you know, I don't want to be controlled by these two political parties, you know, including yourself. Like, you know, is, are people just becoming, well, hang on, it, this is the way it's always been, but that doesn't have to be the way it always will be. Yeah, well, you know, you're of that age where you understand yeah. the disruption, right? Yeah. And, and it happens in industry, it happens in, in everything, you know, TV, radio, um, taxis, whatever. There's this disruption taking place where people are going, hang on, the status quo is not necessarily the way it should be. But that's compounded in politics because people are now realising it's failing them. And and just have a look how it's failed. How many times have you been told or have we heard that a surplus is just around the corner? Right? In the last 10 years, we're going into temporary deficit. We're going to do this. It's all going to be good. We've now got $500 billion worth of debt. There's, it'll be a trillion dollars before there's a surplus. That's my gut feeling. Um, and you know what? We're meant to continue to believe them, that it's just, just around the corner, just one small tax rise away. You know, uh, The public service today was disclosed it's the highest expenditure as a percentage of GDP in the history of the country at over 6%. So the public service is growing like topsy, and yet we're all being served poorly, more poorly, by government than ever before. Um, something's got to give, and that's why people, I think, have had a, a guts full of it. It's why they voted for Brexit, to send the politicians a message. It's why Bernie Sanders was so popular in a democratic election in, um, or pre-selection in America, and, you know, that was a fit-up and stitch-up by the establishment. It's why Donald Trump managed to win, um, because he was saying the system is broken. And, you know, I don't want to be Donald Trump. That's, that's not where I'm at. But that's where people are at. They're saying, if you guys can't fix it, we'll try and get someone else who can. Mm. I, I was going to ask you, are you Donald Trump with political experience? But uh, nah, <laughs> you've nah. already said that you don't No, nah, I'm not. You know, I, I supported, it, like, in the tribe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Republican, right, in the sense of the American political system because they're more akin to where I am. And Trump wanted to cut taxes and secure borders and deregulate the economy and all of that. So I'm, I'm with that. But I'm not making judgment on the personalities. You know, um, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, uh, I think, two flawed political candidates in many respects. But one was preaching an establishment message, we'll just keep going business as usual. The other one was uh, the disruptor. The disruptor happened to win some of his policy positions I happen to agree with. Um, but no, mate, I've, I've said this before. My tan is more even and I've got better hair. <laughs> well, that's true. I can, I can attest to that. Um, but yeah, like I think this, this disruption you're talking about, like I don't think it's, I don't know if it's even limited to just politics as well. I think it's, it's prevalent in education and, or, you know, even local councils, you know what I mean? It's like people are sick of councils. I mean, what, 
what purpose do they really serve other than their their own interests and you know it just it just seems like this is is permeating throughout society in everything we do because there's an industry that springs up around all of this stuff and and for good or for bad technology and you know that modernity is is changing some of that industry and that includes you know local councils it includes um uh you know state politics and federal politics and people are are jack of it you know they've just gone no i've had a guts for why can't i make this decision for myself and governments of course love saying we'll make that decision for you because we're in you know we're in a position you need us to do things but why should it take months to get an approval to put an extension on your house or to build a chicken coop or to do something like this they make it's a make work industry and every time government puts in some you know inane regulation it costs people money and there's no real benefit one of the things i I recently built a house three years ago you know and i had to pay for an energy efficiency consultant to come in it costs thousands of dollars to tell me yes your power bills are going to be this much every year so what, mate? You know, if, if I'm building this house, if I want to scrimp and have you know cheap windows and cheap doors, that's my problem. I, I end up wearing the, the costs of that. Why do I need someone to tell me this ahead of time? You know, I just it's a make a make work industry. Now you might say, oh, but it's good for the you know the environment or something like that. But mate, in the end, it made no difference. Yeah, you know, it's it's all going to be the cost. So yeah. I've just had to spend thousands of dollars to be told something that, yes, I had a big house and it's going to cost a lot to run. Um, wacko. Why should the government be mandating that to me? If I want to save money, which I do, and I've got an energy-efficient one, but, you know, it's the principle. Why should the government be saying you have to do this in order to, to get this result? Um, and that's in every aspect of our lives. It's just it's kind of mind-numbingly inane. And no one wants to stand in the face of it and go, this is just silly. Yeah. Um, look in South Australia in a context there. We've got the most unreliable and the most expensive energy in the country as a result of government decisions. And yet no government wants to accept responsibility for it. It's not our fault. It's the, you know, we haven't put another interconnector or we haven't done this. Well, it is government fault because yeah. we had more reliable electricity 15 years ago than we do today. So this dovetail onto that into um energy and efficiency and that type of thing so what is your thoughts on on renewables where should we be going well uh i think do you support coal still yeah i do i think australia deserves the cheapest most reliable energy any available anywhere in the world now the same people who talk about we need a manufacturing industry here or we need to add value to our resource exports are the people that say it's okay to ship our coal overseas and get you know x dollars a ton but we're not allowed to burn it here to make our our electricity sector more competitive right and sustainable in in the baseload power right because mm-hmm. so you want to add value to it the best way you can add value to our coal exports is by using it here to drive manufacturing and making the cost of production here cheaper by having reliable and efficient electricity that's not to say there's not a place for renewables there is but I'm not sure that we should be mandating it's got to be a 50% renewable target. The market will take care of this. If renewables are so cost efficient, if renewables are so attractive to people, the market will ultimately make that transition. I think it will. Mm-hmm. You know, that the fact that people like me, uh, you know, in our any projects we do, we think about solar panels and we think about 
you know, solar storage and things because they're now affordable and uh, positives. I think that's all good, yeah. right? But solar's never going to be providing the electricity for GMH or for, you know, for BHP Billiton or, you know, the other mission-critical industries that we want to sustain in this country. Yeah, okay. um, so, yeah, it's got its place, imbalance, but I'm not sure that government should be sustaining, uh, subsidising it all. Okay, yeah, I mean, that industry, is that not maybe, you know, with manufacturing going the way that it has, is that not a good place to then start investing to put these other people in jobs? Is that like the new manufacturing? Could that Well, manufacturing windmills. Well, (laughs) well, just anything. Like, I mean, you know, looking after these plants, just, I don't know. Hang on, how many people walk around the wind farms, you know, (laughs) looking after the plants? Okay, you've got a point. And then you've got, then you've got, I mean, this morning, you know, the AFL boss, Gillan McLaughlin. Now, it's hard to pick on him, right? But the AFL's got green round. They subscribe to the climate change, you know, stuff and all of this sort of thing. He's in court today fighting against a wind farm around his property because he doesn't want it in his backyard. And there's so many people like that. You know, there's so many people that go, oh, we want all this, but as long as it's not near me. Now, I'm not like that. I say, if you want to, you know, if people want to, if we want reliable and efficient electricity in this place, let's go for it. Let's open our minds to a great many sources, including nuclear, you know, but you can't even have that conversation. Zero emissions, if that's what's important to you, but no, it doesn't fit the ideological image. Um, and so I, I'm op- I've got an open mind, unlike most of the people who say, uh, you know, there's only one way. Yeah, okay. Well, do, talking about nuclear, though, as well, I think, you know, when I think it's easy for people to forget, like Fukushima is still pumping loads and loads of, you know, pollution into the ocean. Um, pollution? What's it pumping in there? I don't know. Well, how, it's, many, how many people died as a result of Fukushima? Uh, well, I don't know off the top of my head. No, but, see, nor do yeah. I, right? But, yeah. you know, we were told the whole world was going to melt down, basically. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. For all yeah. those who are listening to the podcast going, no, the whole world wasn't going to melt down. Um, but, you know, the alarmist rhetoric attached to some of this uh, is not justifiable in, in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And it seems, you know, they take their maximum... Never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, yes, you know, a disaster, it was terrible, but hey, you know, we're going to have a whole bunch of negative things happen and it's about how we adapt to it. You can go to Chernobyl, it was a, a terrible disaster as well. Um, but, you know, the world still continues. Okay, so you don't think there's something to that, that, you know, that they're apparently these, you know, things that they're storing in water if they tip over or something happens where they, um, if there's another earthquake and they explode or something that could set off another yeah. disaster. Uh, look, you know, a like, whole range of things, which is yeah. why you need a, a, a geologically stable uh, nuclear waste repository. Um, and it could, for example, could be a huge economic benefit to Australia with very limited downside. Uh, but the mind is closed to that. They'd rather have low-level nuclear waste, for example, stored in hospitals or in stairwells, uh, which is, you know, some of the medical waste is stored there. It's, it just seems... It's not logical. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think Australia has a great many benefits and we should take uh, advantage of it for our own um, economic ends. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know why I feel moved to ask you this, but regardless of who holds power in Australian government, um, is... Australian politics, corrupt? Oh, corrupt. 
Is there any, I mean, is there... You know, it depends on what it means by corruption, okay. by what you mean. If you're saying, are people paying money to get particular outcomes? You know, is there graft involved? You know, at the federal level, I'm going to say no. Okay. At a state level, I think yes. Uh, some states worse than others. I think there is a culture of of that that emanates in the eastern states, principally New South Wales. Um, and you just have to look at recent history to, to support that. But federally, I'd like to think not. I know Bob Brown claimed he was offered a bribe once, but he only reported that well after the fact. Um, uh, but And I know Sam Dastiari had his bills paid by a Chinese donor. Is that corruption? Someone could make a good case that it is. But what was the benefit for them? I don't know. Yeah, okay. um, and some people are swayed by a fancy meal and a fancy bottle of wine. You'd be amazed how much uh, goodwill that can buy. Right. So, so yeah, you know, if you want to, if you want to ingratiate yourself with politicians or politics, it's not just about giving them money. It's about, I guess, being their friend. You're always going to be more receptive to having a friend than not, aren't you? Mm, yeah, I guess so. That's an interesting answer. <laughs> All right, so we've got to wrap this up, but um, where to from here for you and the Australian Conservatives? What's what's the next step? Um, well, as I said, I'd like to grow it, um, and so I'd say watch that space in you know, the months to come. But ultimately my target is about preparing for the next federal election. I'd like to not be the only Conservative in the Parliament, I'd like to see more, um, and more under the banner rather than just claiming to be conservatives and then you know squibbing it when it is really necessary. Yes. Uh, so you know that's the goal, um, and hopefully applying some pressure to get some good policies. I'm really not interested in the personalities of politics anymore. I'm, I just want to get good outcomes, and that means it's not so much for me. I've got everything I need in this life, but I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about you know their generation. Um, just about what we're delivering for them and are they going to have a hope of a better life than, than you know, I've enjoyed and my parents have enjoyed. Um, really, that's, that's what our responsibility is. Okay, well, Senator Bernardi, thank you very much for chatting with me again. You're welcome. And we are back on Polly Wanna Cracker with Senator Corey Bernardi. It has been an interesting... 48 hours since we recorded the first part of the show and now we're reconvening and I'm, I'm here, I feel like, because I'm in your office, I'm in the lion's den of the building and the, uh, the property in question from the article that came out. Um, it's actually not the property in question. It's not. No, this I is the thing. I thought it was, right, Look, okay. You know, extraordinarily, um, this, is, this is the most misleading, deceptive sort of article and I, I can't even explain how it came to exist except the journalist hasn't done his homework. He's inferred, you know, facts. This is as close to fake news as I can see. And I've had a conversation with uh, some people at Fairfax today, so I'm sure that'll come out in the wash. Right. Okay, yeah, because it, it was interesting. I, I had to get back in touch with you and find out what the go was because it was about 24 hours later. Um, and it's just... Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the article. So... Uh, I'm put, not, I'm you not... put the fake facts on the table and I'm okay. correct them. about that. <laughs> well, they, I actually literally have the article sitting here right on the table. But um, I'm not going to go through and break it all the way down. But uh, I guess what, I, what I'm getting at, it's, it's interesting given what we were talking about towards the end of 
the first part, I guess about you could corruption. say. About corruption in Australian politics. Yeah. And we even talked a bit about off-air about what constitutes, you know, that corruption, whether it's, you know, a bottle of wine or, you know, whatever it may be, or is it a big fat bag of cash with a dollar sign on it? Sure. Um, so it's interesting, like people see these types of stories and just reading through social media, the fallout, there was a lot of people saying, oh, you're corrupt this and corrupt that. I mean... It's all it's, defamatory, mate. Let me tell you that. And have a look at this. What, what's the headline say there? You read it. Corey Bernardi's $1 million secret shows why the parliamentary rules are broken. Yeah, okay. So what does that infer? Straight away that I've done something dodgy, uh, crooked, criminal, right? And nothing in the context of the story disavows the, uh, the reader of that view. And that's why the cesspit that is uh, Twitter... Uh, has gone. Oh, Bernardi, corrupt, crooked, bang, like this. The Sydney Morning Herald website has all these comments saying exactly the same thing, right? And what the basis? Here's the facts for you, okay? Not the alternative facts. Here are the facts. Uh, a company, which my wife and I are shareholders in, bought a building in Kenttown. It's got nothing to do with the government. It's got, it doesn't have any government tenants. It's got nothing to do with my electorate office or anything. We bought it. Um, it was disclosed that I'm a shareholder in that company. On my wife's register of interests, it discloses she's a shareholder, she's a director, and it discloses the building because that is what is required under the rules. Now, I've never hidden that. Uh, I've had Liberal Party fundraisers there. It's housed my foundation. It's got some other commercial tenants there. Nothing whatsoever to do with my, with my parliamentary work. And yet somehow this journalist, whom I'm going to call uh, a two-bit hack, uh, has texted me the other day saying, why didn't you declare your ownership of this building? And I said, because I don't own it. A company owns it. I'm a shareholder in a company. I've declared that. He didn't bother to find out who the directors were. He didn't find, bother to find out you know, anything else. And he's run this story. And he's refused to accept that he hasn't done his homework. And um, you know, in the end, people have to be held to account for this stuff. Yeah, well, th- look, at the end of that article, which I'm sure you're aware of, there's a list of... Um, they call them a list of recent failures of you know people that failed to declare things. You know Tony Abbott is listed. There's a bunch from 2016, Bob Day, Nick Xenophon, Michaela Cash, the most recent one. Um, so to go back to the hang parliamentary on, on, let, rules, me, let, me, let me just go back to this. Okay, that, that I haven't failed to declare anything. I've declared everything in accordance with the requirements, including filling out my wife's return, yep. right? Which which most other parliamentarians refuse to do. But I've done the right thing. The journalist couldn't be bothered finding that out. He didn't ask the questions. So, you know, listing people who have failed in their obligations and trying to suggest I've failed in mine is a bunch of crap. Right. So how did this story come about then and what did he ask you? Uh, He asked me, quite literally, in a text message, why didn't you declare your building that you own there? Well, technically, A, I don't own it. B, I'm a a shareholder in it. I've declared my shareholding. I told him that. I don't run the building. I don't direct it. I don't do anything like that. And in any event, it's all declared on my wife's register because technically, as the director, she's responsible for it. Now, you know, this is just, it's just a smear campaign by a bloke who clearly, I bet he's a lefty. That's my tip. And it's just a smear campaign. And he hasn't done his homework. And it's not the first time Fairfax have been caught like this. The last time they had to give me a bunch of money. Right. So... 
so the building as a, a you know, I was mistaken that I thought it was this building that we currently oh, in the electorate office. So yeah, you've been misled building. by this story. Yeah, See, I guess so. And this is the thing. People think now out there as a result of this story, they think that somehow I own this building, the government's paying me rent and I'm ripping the taxpayer off. It's, it's, that, so they've drawn that conclusion from this story. And the journalist hasn't disavowed them of that because he doesn't know. And that is a disgrace. It is fake news. Uh, and that's why Fairfax will ultimately have to correct the record. Okay. Well, just going back to that list, which um, was just at the end of the, the article, it's just does this highlight in any way about the parliamentary rules? Do they need to be changed in your opinion? Do you think that the parliamentary rules around declaring things like this, uh, do they need to be adjusted or reworked or well, they're, tightened they're, they're different for the Senate and the House of Representatives. That's the first thing I'd say. But look, let's accept we're all human and mistakes happen. You know, things happen in a day-to-day basis. You might, you know, close a bank account and open another one. Uh, technically, you're in breach of the parliamentary rules if you've changed banks and haven't notified them. Uh, your material circumstances might not have changed. Some people forget to uh, say, oh, my mortgage has been discharged or whatever the case may be. Some people buy a house and this sounds really oh they buy a house and they go okay um that's fine settlements in three months time and you know they're meant to declare it within 28 days of settlement but they forget to right it's not they've been mischievous mistakes happen they're human um the key is to to correct it when it happens um if you're trying to hide something you you get caught for it i'm sure i don't have any doubts but you know because people can do searches of registers and company titles and things like that but um i'm particularly i'm particularly uh, annoyed by stuff like this because i go out of my way to try and do the right thing and when people who don't understand the system write stories like adam gartrell has done uh it really gives me the pips you thought so, i was going to say something else i did it? i did yeah <laughs> um so what would you like i mean you've you've you know, you've obviously presented your side of the story and, and cleared it up, but what would you like your followers and uh, people outside of that following to really know? What is, what is the real well, truth? In the end, um, well, it's, you can't believe everything you read in the media. I mean, the context of a story may be vastly different to the headline. Right? But people remember the headline and the damage is done. Um, when I was in the States... I didn't believe, I couldn't believe any political reporting whatsoever because it was just partisan cheerleading. They're either trying to cheer, boy up their own chap or tear down the opponent um, uh, and it depends on which network you're watching. It was the same with the online media. It was very hard to distill fact from fiction, uh, real news from fake news, which has become trendy, facts from alternate facts. Uh, and we're seeing a bit of that here. Um, I know, because Fairfax have told me, that there are two elements of clickbait in politics. One is Tony Abbott's name in the headline, and the other one is Corey Bernardi's. All right? So the Fairfax readers love to hate us both, um, and so they try and make these headlines to, to make it look like there's something gone wrong. Yeah. And, you know, it gets fermented online. Anyway, we'll see, we'll see what they do to um, rectify the damage. Yeah, right. So I'm, I'm guessing that there's a few more chapters to this story to come. Oh, who knows, mate? You know, I'm just hoping that they'll fix it. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Well, 
Look, I'm a fair and balanced guy, you know. I'm, 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 I'm happy to give people the chance to fix up their mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, yeah, some some people might argue that that's quite the opposite, but then that's who perhaps, would argue that? Oh, just some of the other, some of your critics out there. No one said that. No, no, not to me. Who? No, you can tell. To you. Give me oh, their I've names. Give me names. their names. It's mate. just you know, yeah. again, like you read, you see the social media fall out of these things, and you. Know. Do you I mean, social media. Like, yeah. I mean, really, if you're using that, and I'm not picking on you in particular no, but it's not a barometer of where regular people are at the keyboard warriors um are sometimes orchestrated they're sometimes perpetually outraged uh and sometimes they just make stuff up to annoy they're trolls and i know that because sometimes i troll them back <laughs> yeah well yeah i've noticed that but yeah look i can i can attest to that having worked in pr in different industries in the last couple of years that uh yeah People are per- perpetually outraged and will pick on any little word or any little thing that you may put in a post or whatever. So, I, you know, I completely understand well, that. Well, I deleted a tweet last night. about I woke up about 2.30 in the morning. And I deleted the tweet because I realised it had a spelling error in it. And I thought, I don't want to wake up today to a thousand, you know, hate messages because I spelt something wrongly. So, uh, um, look, that's, you know, it's modern day politics. But there is an obligation, I think, upon the news services and particularly the mainstream news services not to, you know, go down the path that have, I think, delegitimized so much of the media in America. So are Fairfax going to give you the chance to rebut or to present your side? Oh, look, I've asked them to rectify the headline, fix the story, clarify the position, and um, if there's any integrity, the, the journalist will apologise for his lack of uh, rigorous research. But, okay. you know, I'm not holding my breath. No problem. With that in, in, in mind then these other people that were listed, were they treated unfairly? Well, no, because it's a statement of fact. This is, this is the point. It's a statement of fact that, that if you've you know, made a mistake on your record and you correct the register, yeah. okay, that's fine. You, know, you do that. I don't, I, that happens. That's, yeah. that's human nature. I don't think there's anything you know, mischievous in, in anything that they've done. But you know, to suggest that some of them are trying to, or in, in this case they're suggesting that I've done something dodgy, um, that is wrong. Okay. Well, I think we'll leave it there I, for the second time on this show. <laughs> we'll be back. Mate. Of, There'll be another yeah, scandal tomorrow. Don't worry. Yeah. About well. It. Yeah. <laughs> I'll. I'll. Um, yeah. I'll flick off another email. And we'll be doing this again soon. All right. All right thank you very much. Cheers, Tim. <laughs>